Welcome to another episode of Cisco Champion Radio. Today we're talking about consistent ML ops with Cisco ep- experts, Debo and Elvira, and Cisco Champion hosts Peter Yan and Darren. We'll have Debo provide a little more context around today's discussion, but before we do that, we're going to do a quick round of intros so you know who we have joining us today, what they do, and where you can find them on Twitter. Let me start us off. I'm Amy Lee San Juan, Amy Lee San Juan on Twitter, and I'm on the Cisco product marketing team tasked with finding the best of the best in Cisco experts and our Cisco champion hosts so that we can bring you a new episode every Monday. Okay, Debo, we'll start off with you. Can you introduce yourself and what it is you do at Cisco? Hi, I'm Debo Datta. My Twitter handle is D-E-D-U-T-T-A. I'm a distinguished engineer over here, and I lead a bunch of efforts in machine learning, especially in the field of open source machine learning to accelerate our customers' digital transformation. And in particular, we do a lot of work in MLOps. We do a lot, my team does a lot of uh, work in understanding workloads and performance characterization, and also help our customers accelerate their machine learning journey. Fantastic. Next up, Elvira, what is your role at Cisco? Hi, everyone. Uh, I am Elvira Jurayeva. My Twitter handle is Elvira Fortune, and I'm a technical product manager at Cisco. I work uh, in it like uh, in the team I was Debo, and we help with machine learning and AI to various of our BUs and our external customers with machine learning operations. I'm also a technical uh, community product manager at Kubeflow. And uh, I'm happy to be today the po- like, uh, at the part of this uh, podcast. Thank you. We're happy to have you. Now, Peter, who are you and what do you do? Hey, I'm Peter Jan Efkrans, uh, Cisco champion. I'm an independent contract, uh, contractor, consultant, architect. Uh, and my Twitter handle is PJNF. Last but not least, Darren, tell us more Last about yourself. But definitely least. Um, <laughs> my name's my name's no. Darren Fowell. I'm a um, what am I these days? Um, network architect from the UK. A sort of gnarly old guy who sits in the corner normally. So um, very much a, a network engineer of old. So a little bit um, yeah, taken aback at what it is that we're going to be discussing today. But looking forward to it nonetheless. Um, my Twitter handle is at Darren Fowell. Great. And Darren also works in the <laughs> Very dark. Very much so. I noticed. <laughs> no, I keep <laughs> everyone in the, the dark. dark. Okay, Debo. <laughs> okay, Debo, can you set the conversation up? What are we talking about today? Yeah, so today we are talking about ML Ops. Now, many of you may have heard about ML Ops, but uh, for those who haven't, ML Ops is basically managing the processes and the science and the technology of managing the life cycle of machine learning. For example, a lot of people uh, already may know about what machine learning is, but in just to recap, machine learning is the art and the science of learning patterns from data that you've observed and then creating a machine learning or a mathematical model that can then be used to make a decision for when you look at another data in the future. So, so, de- so essentially you're learning Devo, from data. Devo, crashing in here. Um, obviously, like I said, I, I don't know uh, ML from my elbow, right? Um, 
what mm-hmm. we talk we hear a lot of marketing about ml and ai and yada 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 what's the the difference I, I, can you explain that for me can that yes um sure so ai is actually not a very new uh, area it's been there for more than 50 years people have always tried to uh, you know search for ways to mimic and replicate human intelligence that's why we called it artificial mm-hmm. intelligence using a computer so machine learning is a subdiscipline of artificial intelligence that does much more simpler tasks than generalized human uh, human intelligence mimicry so in machine learning specifically we look at observed data you know and you know you can observe data in your own home um from you know your car when you're driving your car you're always observing data and you're trying to create a model of that observed data so that you can predict when you see something new whether for example it's a cat or a dog so for example if you have a video camera that's looking at cat and dogs how does the video camera know that it saw a cat or a dog uh, the way we do it is you take a bunch of images of cats and you right. take a bunch of images of dogs and you feed it into the a computer program that actually generates another model or another computer program that can then be used to uh, you know take a, a new image and say it's a cat or a dog but now you can take that exactly that same kind of system and train it on network traffic is the network traffic malicious or benign it's it's from a high level, it's very similar to us recognizing between cats and dogs or to recognize between malicious stuff and sure. benign stuff. So you can use machine learning to basically make your processes in your enterprise very efficient and uh, basically automate a lot of the things that we do today. So, so, so and, just just to clarify then, so, so AI is mm-hmm. about about general intelligence or that that simulation of general intelligence which yeah i mean that sounds like a something still even now it sounds like something from science fiction but but what we're doing here is we're, we're creating we're yeah we're creating though. techniques yeah. that that uh, uh have specific applications here right and and looking and and hey it's what we used to call pattern matching right but 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 to the to, to the next level matching, yeah. is, is what we're talking about right okay it, understood it's it is pattern matching matching but then with not only yes or no but a lot of ifs sure. in between that's true too yes so i mean if you think about pattern matching if you know pattern matching and you feed a computer with a lot of different kinds of patterns it will tell you different things and also that's classification and then it can also predict where the next stock price is or the next when will the next alarm go off in your network or you know when will the when will your microwave or your oven uh, hit an alarming temperature inside so all sure. kinds of stuff so that's uh, so you can do a bunch of things. And by the way, you can also use mach- machine learning to deta- translate from one language to the other, uh, you know, and also create uh, fake images. <laughs> you can do all kinds of stuff so, with pattern matching, create art. So, so, right. Okay. So so who develops these, these machine language environments? Because it, it sounds to me like I don't know, a, a kind of a data science thing or, or whatever. Is is there a relation there? Or Yes, that's a great question. So 
uh, it typically what happens in the life cycle. So that's why I want to bring it back to the life cycle. In the life cycle of machine learning, there's typically uh, data scientists are in the old days, it, you know, it used to be just a, a scientist with st knowledge in statistics and um, algorithms create a model um, based on existing data. And then what happens is once you've created a model, think of the model as a black box that has the ability to decide on something or predict something. Now that has to be in an enterprise setting. A model is basically a binary file or an image mm -hmm. equivalent. And that has to be shipped to the DevOps or the systems where things are being run in production to decide your business things. Like for example, suppose you've created a model to detect whether your car assembly or, or your LCD panel or your car assembly is going right or wrong. It's a faulty assembly or a not faulty assembly. That model now gets shipped to a place in the factory floor, shop floor, where you have mm -hmm. a camera and so that the camera can now infer. So you've trained the model before. Now you have to infer the model. So now how, now imagine the data scientists need not know how the inference yeah. is happening, where it's happening. So over there, you will have a systems person or a DevOps engineer or an ML systems engineer who actually takes the model from the scientist and then gets right. deploys it in production. Right. So the IT so 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 the data the data production. science scientist creates the model and and um, teaches it essentially with 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 the data that it's that it's trained on, and then of course once it's trained it needs to be deployed and and same as with everything that we're looking at these days I suppose if you're talking IoT or or whatever we're looking at distributing workloads throughout the network and throughout the the enterprise right so right. so this is where where it comes in about actually having to have an operational responsibility for deploying this, I suppose. Yes. So actually building a model, it needs a lot of creativity and math and skills uh, with the ability to understand yeah. data. But deploying the model in production to get you the business go needs that you really want and because of which you initially invested in the data science effort, that is a completely new and engineering yeah. challenge that many of enterprises need to collaborate. And, you know, it's not just one team. What we are seeing with the ML lifecycle operations is that you have the data scientists as a persona, you have the DevOps uh, folks as the persona, and then you have the IT folks who and the InfoSec and the IT who need to worry about mm -hmm. governance and uh, stuff like that. So it is a team effort between multiple uh, uh, units and teams within an organization that have to collaborate very closely to get models in production and help the uh, enterprise accelerate their so this is process. this is the idea of mlops this is this is basically this, that this is, the is bringing all these people together yeah. to to put together a production environment that can be i guess monitored and reported on compliance checked um scaled um distributed as close to the to the, the points where they're needed and all that sort of good stuff right 
Yeah, all the good stuff. Like, so you start with training. How do you even train these jobs at scale? Where do you train them? And by the way, cost is a big problem for most uh, companies, right? Like, how do you do this with the least amount mm-hmm. of OPEX? And then use consistent. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, consistency is key because you may have some of your data in the cloud, some data on premise. So you need to be kind of cloud sure. neutral um, and... So you need to manage OPEX, you need to understand scaling, you need to understand systems. Uh, and then once you inf- uh, deploy, the, you need to figure out, you need to basically keep track of your entire uh, inventory because you're creating models. Suppose you have a 100% da- and data science team, it can get, become a big problem because now each data science is, say, de- de- developing 10 models. So you have 100 people developing 1,000 models. So your entire inventory just mm-hmm. blows up and you have to track each of these models. You have yes. to understand whether they're they are even generating the value that you're, uh, and, you wanted to do. So it's model and, assurance. And one, deploying one model is basically the fir- one of the few really cross-domain applications requiring almost anything in your enterprise. It requires the camera to be connected. It requires connectivity to your data lake on-prem and somewhere else and you need to manage the compute power to recognize so it's actually a full internally managed cross-domain application yes right? it's a full cloud uh, uh, agnostic cloud native a full stack uh, management of all your assets ranging from data uh, data lifecycle management to mo- uh, model development and artifact management because your models are your very expensive corporate assets that could be either making money or if they go wrong could be Costing could money. make you yeah, even yeah, lose yeah. money yeah and and it's and it's not like your traditional client server application anymore absolutely not it's like you need to you need to uh, basically keep track of every part of that life cycle ensure that it's secure ensure it's performant it's basically you have uh, the full stack assurance in place as well as artifact management and governance and you know especially in today's world you need to understand that if you're training a model is that model even fair is that model trained with the right kind of data do you have do you know that this model has not been compromised upon? Wow. So I think it's not, it's an, it's an entire that, that, full that's also <laughs> I was, was going to say, that sounds like we're getting into ethics on. there, right? <laughs> um, yes. Yes, also. But, um, but since there's so much data in the enterprise and this is a, comp- a complex thing to deploy, where do you start? Once you have that data science, could be local, could be employed or external contract. It has that data model created based on a limited data set. But then how do you deploy it? Because it touches everything. So what can, yeah, what it's can a, you it's do a, to make that easier? It's a hard problem. <clears throat> but if, if you actually break the problem down into small parts, it's not uh, that hard. So for, I'll give you an example. So when we looked at this problem a couple of years ago, we've been at it for several years now. Uh, we talked to a bunch of our marquee customers and we understood the challenges that they were just beginning to have then. And we realized that one of the things that uh, we need to do is to have consistency of tooling because if multiple teams have to collaborate, they need to talk together using consistent tools. So that's point one. Point two is we need to embrace both on-premises and cloud because we realized that in the next generation enterprise, 
most enterprises will tend to use anywhere between two to four, four different mm-hmm. cloud providers, including their own data center. So it has to be a collaborative effort between cloud providers as well as uh, on-premise IT uh, managed you know, uh, private clouds. So that those were the two trends. Then we realized that what we need to understand is if we, uh, for making for managing your consistency across this entire thing, you need to simplify the choices that you need to make in terms of model uh, development languages, in terms of IT operational stack, your DevOps stack. So we made some sure. hard choices. We said that let's assume that you know TensorFlow. PyTorch, MXNet, like pick three different languages. We need to support these three languages in which data scientists will write their models in. And let's support just those few for now. There are many others. And then let's look at containers as a way to deploy this anywhere. So we would like to have consistent tools that can develop the models anywhere that I mean that can be used to develop models anywhere and then deploy them everywhere. Yeah. So containers was a good bet. This was like two three years ago we saw this yeah. coming. So we picked up Kubernetes as a platform for on which to build our ML tooling, and then we also realized that we need to pro, uh, actually partner with cloud providers. So two three years ago we realized that Google at that point was also trying to build an open source machine learning operational platform on Kubernetes. And they were asking for participation. So we kind of joined hands and we created this thing called kubeflow.org and you can go and check it out, which is essentially the dream of this um, consistent machine learning stack that can run anywhere. And in the last two years, we've seen people from all walks of enterprise cloud providers like Azure, uh, Amazon, AliCloud, and financials, and then enterprises uh, from ranging from banks to retail to you know the next gen SaaS. All all of us come together to actually expand this community and build something like this. And of course, Kubeflow is not the only platform. There are other uh, platforms like MLflow from Databricks, which is also awesome. And there are a bunch of startups which have uh, started up in the last two to three years, actually creating a rich ecosystem of consistent MLOps. And, you know, on that note, we've actually played a big role and Elvira can talk more about Kubeflow and how Cisco has, uh, you know, played a pretty big role in making Qflow a success. Right. Uh, so as Debo mentioned, like we joined Qflow in the early beginning where this open source community just started. So our team started contributing to them some small portions of components, even when the Qflow wasn't like not the one consistent tooling. It all started with some sample uh, components that uh, help to initially just run distributed training and some other things. And at some point we understood that we have like many tools uh, and the consistency is a key. 
And we started creating this ecosystem around machine learning tooling that helps to create this machine learning uh, workloads. And uh, our team has contributed to uh, major core components in Kubeflow. So uh, we help to create distributed training operators in Kubeflow, as well as uh, we have a big portion in hyperparameter tuning. Uh, our team participated in uh, KF Cuddle, uh, which is basically a, a CLI for managing Kubeflow components. And there are many other things that we contributed to, including like QBench for benchmarking. And we still think that is one of the major things that uh, will go, uh, like will be growing in the future uh, for machine learning performance management. Yeah, and, and actually just to add to what Elvira just said, we took, we looked at Kubeflow as an, as an opportunity to kind of work collaboratively with all kinds of organizations to actually pay our technical debt upfront and open source. And that is actually very important because once we do that, we build a platform where we all have our, uh, you know, mutual interests in place. And we then make a robust and mature platform that has evolved over two years. It has stood the test of intense uh, scrutiny, uh, you know, from multiple organizations. And, and Cisco, as Elvira just mentioned, we contributed to each and every key mm -hmm. component of that platform. In fact, we are the uh, second largest contributor in, uh, in uh, across many metrics. I guess and we've actually no. Sorry, I was just going to ask who who else is contributing. It's uh, oh yeah, it's interesting so to it's, know. Uh, you know the usual. Obviously, it's uh, it's led by Google, so they are the biggest contributor. Then it's Cisco and IBM, and then. We have a lot of, uh, uh, and Elvira can talk about more of the community structure, but we have uh, contributions from AWS, Azure, and uh, different, uh, in fact, you know, some of the scrums are even run by uh, people who work at banks like US Bank. We've had JP Morgan and Chase contribute and financials, Bloomberg, you name it. Like, it's a huge community. I was going to say, now. I mean, so, so oh. what, what you're talking about there is is a wide range of different enterprises, all um, and vendors and and um, I guess software providers and and all kinds who who are all pitching into this to develop this almost as a as a de facto standard. They must all think they that you know that that we're we're all going to need MLOps in some shape or form going forward. I, I I guess is 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 it that pervasive in in enterprises now? Is that is that what uh, we're thinking? Yes. So this is true because as we said, uh, this is like AI and machine learning was here for a while and it's like very hype and people know about machine learning. But when it really comes to scale and production, you need this tooling and you need this uh, help from IT, from the DevOps people, from systems people. And these people... Um, in most cases, they do not understand data science. And on other hand, on the other hand, like data science, they do not understand the uh, IT. So the goal of Kubeflow was to help both of these uh, personas to have like a bridge between the data science and systems. And Kubeflow was meant to help uh, in this area. So basically, your data science uh, can use a variety of Kubeflow components such as Jupyter Notebooks and hyperparameter tuner like Katip, do some uh, 
experimentation. And on the other hand, you have other components such as KF, uh, KF cuddle to manage Kubeflow components, Kubeflow pipelines to create these consistent workflows in machine learning, and KF serving to do this deployment on various, uh, like whether you do it on cloud or you do it on premises. So this is like where like all big enterprise companies uh, see the value because in enterprise you hit the point when you have to manage this at scale as Debo uh, mentioned before that uh, it requires like many uh, others to be uh, tracked. So you could summarize it as it's the de facto standard tool chain to deploy and use machine learning in your enterprise. And uh, with digitalization, a lot of enterprises want to use their data uh, and they were probably facing, just assuming it, uh, the, the issue is, okay, I've got this data, but how can I leverage those data, uh, data models and machine learning models to actually get output from that data in a more automated way instead of a manual way? Right, and, and actually on that note, Kubeflow... Uh, so think about Kubeflow as a plat ML platform on top of Kubernetes. So if you are using Kubernetes, it is the dominant platform. And in that, and it's also in integrates very well with any other data lake and data sources that you may have. So it really doesn't matter where your data is. As long as you have data and you are running Kubernetes and Kubernetes can actually, your Kubernetes pods can access the data, Kubeflow will be able to create a consistent pipeline, I mean, you will be able to create a consistent pipeline and part of the pipeline could be in on-premise, part of the pipeline can be running in the cloud, part of the pipeline could be only a data scientist's workbench and the data scientist could be only working on one part of the pipeline and then the half of the pipeline could be basically a production IT, uh, taking and running it in production, scaling, monitoring, ensuring that everything is up and running. So essentially, yeah. you have one set of tool that can be leveraged, as Elvira mentioned, by both the personas, and that reduces the complexity of managing this whole ecosystem. It uh, reduces your total cost of uh, operations. It reduces your entire ML investment in to the point that many companies have actually come to the community and have said, oh, we've... Uh, We've become 2x more uh, efficient in deploying our ML features by because we use Kubeflow. And of course, this is and where and the amount of gain that you get also depends on the level of maturity of AI in an enterprise. So I'll give you an example. If your enterprise is just starting with uh, ML, maybe you will not see that amount of uh, Again, because you're just starting and over there, your most of your workload is pretty much, you know, just training and just do a little bit of testing. But once you have to build multiple models in production, the game changes. That's where you will see the benefit of Kubeflow. And, and we saw this coming too. So we realized that when our customers are actually just getting started, they may actually run some simple jobs on containers on their premise, or they may even be using uh, the cloud providers of their choice, their tools, ML tools. So we started working very early with the dominant cloud providers to ensure that 
they support kubeflow q and kubeflow is interoperable so the the workloads that uh, are developed on premise can run in the cloud and the workloads uh, that are, i mean the models that are developed in the uh, in the cloud using their cloud tooling can also run on a premise this whole idea of going back and forth between multiple cloud properties i think is extremely key and this is what is needed by by the end uh, by the large gamut of enterprises to you know have a cost effective way of production i mean uh, for deploying ml in production i think and this I'm, cost thing is a very important yes but it's also also probably one of the first really vis visible uh, parts of a digitalized company where you can really have that combination where it and business are working together in one tight pipeline or tool yes and actually that is like if you think about software 2.0 which is pretty much data driven and ai driven and uh, so if if you want to enable software 2.0 in your enterprise uh, you do not have a choice but to embrace ml ops and the sooner you do it the better it is for the health of your uh, enterprise operations so i think all, um, our recommendation to our partners and customers is that we need to start investing in ml ops today and then think about consistency and think about how to bring multiple teams together break the silos and you know create bridges across within your organization and with the cloud providers working and your infrastructure vendors and that's what we are helping our customers it's with. it's a, yes. a, com a common story from a, from an automation point of view right is is that that idea of gaining visibility across uh, multiple different um, environments and different domains and and different capabilities and bringing it all together under one not one control point but but to have that centralized view and and be able to hook into an an operations ecosystem i guess is is what we're talking about mm -hmm. and and having that reporting and having that visibility yeah, so yeah, so this is something that is uh, we are working closely uh, with other cloud providers too. So we recently like uh, wrote a blog post with AWS. We were able to uh, use our on-premise servers to do the training, model training. Uh, and then we did the deployment in the cloud uh, with like this trained model. And we actually can do vice versa. You can do the training in the cloud and you can deploy on-premises or in the edge. So this is what we closely are uh, trying to do with our uh, partners because we've seen this uh, trend where different companies are trying to combine these uh, approaches when you do some, uh, for example, you have some uh, data that you cannot expose uh, and it cannot be public. So you have to do it like the training on, on site. and But you have your like... Uh, products distributed across the world and easiest way to deploy these uh, models is to use the cloud and yes yeah so but yeah go ahead because go ahead okay <laughs> so basically this is like what we're trying to do so we listen carefully to our customers and what are the car our customers needs and we try to pick up all these pain points and create various like examples and applications to support these needs so this is yeah. what cisco is trying to achieve uh, with kubeflow 
That's really great because you already answered the question before I could ask it because, uh, well, with, with uh, I'm, me uh, being from Europe, GDPR, data privacy, uh, you might want to train with test data in the cloud because that's easier and then use your model on-premise because you don't want to have that sensitive data uh, in the cloud. Yes, that's uh, one of the and, use cases actually for and, doing And Elvira already AI. answered that, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and actually just to add to what Elvira uh, just mentioned, like the the AWS uh, and Cisco blog post is very interesting because now if your if your data scientists are used to using AWS SageMaker, which is their uh, tooling, ML tooling, and ecosystem, you can you do not need to do any extra investment. But when it comes to deployment, especially if you're trying to do this on premise, you just mentioned due to GDPR, you may want to do the inference on premise. You can do the training in in SageMaker and then infer and uh, using a Kubeflow pipeline on premise without losing consistency. And you can do the other way around. If you're if you have a SaaS property where you know you have to make decisions in real time on some uh, patterns that you've learned from maybe say physical stores in retail, so that your data is actually not in the cloud. Maybe you have data in physical uh, stores and somewhere. In, you know, in a, in a local storage, you can train the model in the store and then ship the model to the cloud. You can basically go back and forth. And I think that's uh, the key. And because of that, we realize that we need to support consistent tooling ecosystems like Uflow for our customers. And because of that, our strategy has been work with open source and enable it on our infrastructure. And, and I'm sure Elvira can talk more about it, but we recently announced something called the Qflow Starter Pack. And Elvira, do you want to just Yes, sure. So we announced Cisco Qflow Starter Pack. Uh, that is, make it available Qflow on uh, UCS uh, C240 and C480 uh, servers that provide GPUs and other uh, capacity to run complex machine learning uh, trainings and deployment across the world. And this is something that we are very proud of because now we can see that our customers can use this to uh, do this variety of things that we described before to have this machine learning consistency uh, across their machine learning workloads. And in this Kubeflow starter pack, we provide an easy way to install Kubeflow on the machines as well as to start with sample applications. And these applications cover critical uh, use cases that our customers can uh, take these uh, applications and start their uh, machine learning workloads uh, very easily and then build on top of them. Yeah, and just to add to that, uh, what Elvira just mentioned, our goal is to help the customer get jump started on this bandwagon because most of the customers, when we talk to them, uh, it seemed that they are very excited about Kubeflow, but they want to find a simple push button after they've bought <laughs> our infrastructure to you know get started so we said oh you want a push button we'll give you a starter pack so the starter pack will have an easy way to install it once you've gotten your infrastructure up and running and it'll help you with some sample uh, you know pipelines so that your data scientists can take that and just modify it and start seeing immediate productivity the whole idea is to reduce the friction that the, our customers have when dealing with open source because open source is free and it's open, but it also comes with 
a little bit of complexity yeah. for folks who are starting up. Yeah, it's always always the thing with with um, any open source solution, isn't it? Is there's that 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 time it takes to familiarize yourself with how it operates before you can really get the most from it so so to have that that sort of kickstart is is a good idea it just made me smile when you talked about the uh, the easy button is is a from a from a network standpoint that's one of those things that you <laughs> always try and avoid the uh, the claims of the easy button but uh, i can see your point in this case it uh, yeah, it's really it's. I, f- I find it fascinating um, that the the parallels really, and and again, I'm coming at this from a from an old sort of network engineer standpoint. That that um, when you look to see some of the the modern approaches to abstraction and to um, um, to, to gain that sort of visibility of, of environments end to end, and be able to say, you know, uh, treat the cloud the same as if it were a public cloud or private cloud doesn't matter doesn't matter who provides it all of those things um the the parallels are are fascinating when you think about sd-wan and and some of the other technologies that we that as networkers we're familiar with from from an overlay point of view Mm -hmm. and i suppose what we're talking about is almost a, a kind of an overlay for for the machine learning um um, workloads, I guess, is 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 what we're talking about. Yeah. I'm to, so I'm trying to so rationalize I, it from my my. Um, own so I'll give you a uh, simple example. I mean, so you you put it very uh, correctly. So when you talked about the overlay, if you think about network being, you know, the actual capability of transferring packets, routing packets, SD WAN, Wi Fi, and then you have this network operations, the network management as an yeah. overlay to manage your sprawl your infrastructure sprawl, think of machine learning as a network. Um, you know, you have, uh, you know, models get trained somewhere, then they get shipped somewhere, um, and then they get, uh, you start inferring somewhere, you, so you have compute workloads, and then there is a lot of tra- networking involved too. How do you uh, tie all the lo- uh, loose ends together? Because you have a lot of properties that you need to uh, link together, give, put the right in network security policies, compliance governance and, and they're being and torn up torn down and yeah. brewed up and scaled out and brought yeah. back in yeah yeah so so basically the patterns that our network uh, administrators and management people have for years created and the it folks have created to manage their sprawl it is a, a similar thing it's just that the the bottom layer is slightly yeah. different so that is a perfect uh, analogy why we can help the, our customers and our, the, their IT teams to actually make this digital transformation happen in, and you know, to enable software 2.0 for their enterprise and really have them accelerate their digital transformation. No, that's, that's perfect. Thank you. All right. Well, this has been another great episode of Cisco Champion Radio. I want to thank all of you for listening in today, and a special thank you to Debo, Elvira, Peter, and Darren for sharing your wonderful insights and hosting today's session. Click on the link provided in the podcast description to learn more on today's topic. And just a reminder, be sure to look out for this episode and other episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts, including SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, TalkShoe, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. This is Amy Lee San Juan, signing off for now, my friends.